Good morning. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, um, chapter 14, from verse 1 to 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking out to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not doing the feast, lest there be an opera from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to, to betray him. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Thank you, Anume. Well, welcome to Grace Community Church, or rather, I should say, the gathering of Grace Community Church. You, the people, are the church, and this is just a building that we have come together to worship in. So thank you for choosing to worship together with us here this morning. Josh's pre-service greeting question was horrendous and awful. How many of you old-timers have seen the movie Sophie's Choice in the 80s with Meryl Streep? Any of you? Yeah, about five of you, and you're all over 50. Uh, It's a Jewish Holocaust movie where a mother is forced to choose which child lives. And that's the essence of what Josh just asked you, and I resent him greatly for asking that question, and I hope you do as well. No, that's totally false. I don't resent him, but that was an awful question. So we're going to trans- transition from something awful, hopefully, to something not so awful, actually something quite beautiful. And that's the devotion of one particular woman uh, that Mark does not identify, but John actually does in the Gospel of John. This is Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. And we're going to take a look at her devotion to Jesus. And, and, and the, the title of this morning's message is Complete Devotion. And I want to start with the question that is, what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? Give that some thought just for a couple seconds here. Uh, the definition of devotion, it means love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person relig- or religious worship. So what are you devoted to? Uh, what was most of the state of Iowa devoted to Thursday evening? What were you, most of you, devoted to? What was I devoted to on that particular moment? Okay, watching women's basketball, in particular, Caitlin Clark breaking the record. Now, that's not particularly devoted to women's basketball, the University of Iowa, or even Caitlin Clark. For me, as a non-basketball fan... My wife on that night, by the way, said, five years ago, if I would have told you that you're going to be sitting on the couch watching women's basketball, would you have believed it? I would have said no. So my devotion wasn't to women's basketball or even Caitlin Clark. It's 
devotion to being entertained. So sometimes we think we know what we're devoted to, but when you think about it, mm, nope, I'm devoted to my own personal entertainment. And it was entertaining. So what are you devoted to? What would you give yourself for? Give yourself to. What would you sacrifice for? What is it? It's different for different people. Now, you're in church, so what's the correct Sunday school answer? Sure. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to say, right? But are we, though? Are you? How do you know? How do you know? Everybody's devoted to something. Everyone is devoted to something. What we're going to look at this morning in this text is complete devotion. We're going to see it displayed, and then we're going to dissect it. We're going to take a look at it. We're going to pick it apart, look at the motives, look at what was done, why it was done, and then the people's reaction to it. And then we're going to, we're going to think and we're going to meditate on, well, how do you develop it? Because here's the truth of the matter. If you're a follower of Christ, you know you're supposed to say, I'm devoted to Jesus. Now, not everybody here would even have the pretense to even saying that. Some of you are like, I'm not devoted to Jesus. I'm here because I'm with my girlfriend. Or my, my wife makes me come to church with her. I'm just here to placate her. Happy wife, happy life. So that's why I'm here. And some of you kids, you're, you're in a home where mom and dad love Jesus, or at least say they love Jesus, and you even figured this all out. Or, or whatever reason you're here, but that doesn't mean all of you are devoted to Jesus. But some of you, you desire to be, or, or you are sort of-ish, a little bit, sometimes more than others. So that's a fair assessment. Everybody's in a different spectrum, and sometimes our devotion meter, it, it moves back and forth. So, so not only do we, we, we want to look at how we, uh, whether we are devoted, but whether, uh, how we become more devoted. How does that devotion, how, does it, how is it fostered? How can it be nurtured? How can it be increased? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. I will pray and you can pray with me and then we'll get to it. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Mary. Thank you, uh, Jesus, for your devotion to the Father and your love for him. And uh, Father, we ask that you would stir our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would um, make us the people that you created us to be, image bearers fully devoted to you. Lord, we recognize that we are not always fully devoted. Uh, our devotions are pulled in different directions. And so, Father, I pray that you would pull us in a direction where our worship would be exclusively and primarily to you, Father, for your glory, for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, context. Uh, context is important. We've been going through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and we are to the point where Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's been telling them over and over and over and over again, I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to execute me, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. So we are to the point where all the talk is over now and he has entered Jerusalem and he is preparing for his sacrifice. Everyone else is preparing for something else. Everyone else is preparing for something else. So Mark sets the stage here. He says, it was now two days before the Passover and the feast 
of unleavened bread. So Jerusalem, the population of Jerusalem is swelling much like it swells on a, on a Saturday uh, in Iowa City when, when people from all over the state of Iowa come to Kinnick. So this is, Jerusalem is, everyone's coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. So people that don't live in Jerusalem are coming exclusively for this event. So the city is growing in population, and everyone is preparing for the Passover. So centuries ago, when God sent his servant Moses into Egypt to declare to Pharaoh to let God's people go, Pharaoh balked at that whole idea, fought him tooth and nail, and then there were the ten plagues, and the final plague was the plague of the firstborn, and the Passover, the first Jewish Passover was instituted. On that Passover, God told Moses to tell the people that all the Jews are to gather in their homes, and they are to sacrifice a Passover lamb, and cook that lamb, and serve it for dinner, and eat in haste, for the next morning they would be delivered, and they would be taken out of Egypt. Specifically, they were told to take the blood of the lamb that was slain, and sacrificed, and then eaten. They were to take that blood, and they were to smear it on the posts and the headboard of the doors, and that the angel of death, angel of the Lord, would pass over, pass over the homes that were marked with the blood of the lamb. And so the Jews were told that every generation, this shall be a perpetual observation to remember that God had delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh and taken them out of slavery. So this is an annual celebration, which is then followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the right on top of one another, where they are remembering that God has delivered his people from slavery because of the shed blood of a lamb. That's what the whole city is preparing for. Got it? Okay. Let's take a look at how that plays out. So the devotion on display. Let's take a look at how that's displayed. Mary's not the only character in the story. Let's take a look. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So notice Mark's intention here. He wants us to connect preparation for the Passover with what these people are doing to prepare. So how are the religious, people, religious leaders preparing to celebrate the Passover? By plotting to take the life of Jesus. That's how they're preparing to honor God to show him how devoted they are for his giving the Passover lamb. They are preparing to take the Passover lamb's life. Ironic, isn't it? So that's the first, the first display that we see. That's how they're, they're displaying. Now, I, I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at their, their motive. Why? Why are they seeking to take Jesus' life? It shows you what they're devoted to. A person is devoted to uh, that which they are loyal to, that which they love, or that which they are enthusiastic about. So they are willing, they are willing to violate the laws of God so they can maintain their power as religious leaders. That shows us what they are truly devoted to. You see, that's the thing. We will act according to what we're devoted to. 
if the religious leaders are devoted to loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbors themselves, they would not be plotting to take the life of one of their neighbors who is completely innocent. But that's not what they're devoted to. They're devoted to their position. They're devoted to their stature. They're devoted to the power that they have acquired as religious leaders. And Jesus is a threat to that power. And so he has to be taken care of. See, this is all about devotion. So that's the religious leaders. That's the religious leaders. But let's take a look. In verse 3, And while he was at Bethany... In the house of Simon, the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Bethany is just a few miles from Jerusalem, just a couple miles. It's, it's like saying it's actually closer than Coralville and North Liberty. So it's, they're not the same. Jerusalem is not Bethany, but they're, it's a suburb, if you will. That's, that's where he's at, and he is in this home, and he is preparing for the Passover, and while there, a woman approaches him, takes a jar, a flask, breaks it, and dumps the contents on his head, dumps the contents on his head. Now, Mark doesn't tell us who this woman is, but John does. In chapter 12, John says that this is Mary the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who had just been resurrected from the dead. So that's who this is. That's who this is. And this is what she does. This is what she does. Um, I also want to mention the, the, the verse that Uname read in, in verses 10 and 11. We also have another display of devotion that I'm not actually going to take a lot of time to look at, but then that's the, the response of Judas. Judas, he leaves this encounter after Mary does this, this act of devotion and goes straight to the religious leaders to conspire how to turn Jesus over and they give him some money. So he's displaying his devotion as well. There's a lot of devotion going on. A lot of devotion being on, on display here. So that's, that's what happens that's what happens. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at why it happened. Let's take a look at how people respond. We're going to zero in on Mary's act of devotion here and take a look and analyze that and then look at what Jesus thought of it and look at what the disciples thought of it. So let's take a look. So verse four, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, they're angry. They're, they're ticked off about what she has just done. How dare she? Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Why are they upset? Whose nard is it? Huh? Who, who, who does the nard belong to? It's hers. So let's get this straight. If she would have left it in the cupboard at home and not sold it and give it to the poor, would they be angry? No, they wouldn't be angry. Why are they angry? It doesn't tell us. Well, it does tell us. It says that they're angry because they think the money should have been given to the poor. 
Okay, I don't know what you thought of the commercial. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But the Jesus Gets Us movement, you familiar? You watch the Super Bowl? I kid you not. What, there's lots of criticisms that people gave for the, for the, for the ad, but I kid you not, one of, the, one of the criticisms was that the person who paid for the ad should have given the money to the poor. Did you, did you catch that? Whose money is it? I thought we were Americans, that, that we had the right to do with what, what, what we want with our money. Evidently not. Evidently, if what someone else does with their money isn't what you think or what we think they should do with their money, we have to criticize them. And that's what they're doing. How dare she pour that over Jesus' head? That's a total waste of money. That could have been used for a more practical purpose. There's nothing more impractical than dumping a whole jar of perfume on somebody's head. That's not practical. Feeding the poor is practical. How many of you, when you became Christians and you started to show a little bit more zeal or devotion than your relatives or your spouse or your siblings or your friends thought, heard the following phrase? You know, the Bible says somewhere that all things are to be done in moderation. I think you're taking this religious stuff a little bit too far. Any of you hear that from from friends or family? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Here's the criticism. You know, it's okay to just dab a little nard on the sides here, but dumping the whole thing, I mean, that seems to be a bit over the top. So we learn, we learn from, from John that this is a sham. This isn't about them being critical of her being, it should be given to the poor. They said, we, we learn from John that actually Judas is the one who speaks up. The others are right behind him. But Judas is the spokesperson, but John gives this little parenthetical commentary that says he wasn't really concerned about the poor, but keeper of being the keeper of the money bag, he used to dip into it himself. And, and there's, there's something not stated here, which is a possibility. And I'm not saying, I can't prove this from the text, but there's also the point that this is a woman. And that how could a woman have anything valuable to do here? So they have to, they have, to have some reason to show that this is not a, a valid response to what Je- who Jesus is. And, and they gang up on her. They gang up on her. They scold her. They scold her. That's a strong word, scold. It's one thing to just disapprove. I mean, we all do that. We see people do this. We see people do that. We're like, I don't approve of that. But we keep our mouth shut. We don't always say something. But they go beyond simply disapproving to scolding. They call her out. They shame her. That's what's being done here. They shame a woman for her pure devotion and worship to Jesus. And they're the good guys. They're not the ones conspiring, well, Judas. They're not the ones conspiring, conspiring to take Jesus' life. They're the ones who love Jesus and they're following, but they're, they're nonetheless picking apart her devotion. How does Jesus respond? So we have the disciples' response. We know how Judas responded. We know how the disciples responded. They're, they're, they're condemning her. They're scolding her. And then Jesus speaks up. But Jesus said, leave her alone. 
leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? I love the fact that Jesus never simply gives a directive. He doesn't simply rebuke them. I mean, he does, but he doesn't simply rebuke them. He rebukes them and he asks them a question. Why? Why is he always asking questions? Because he wants them to ask themselves, why am I rebuking her? What is it about her dumping that, that ointment on Jesus? Why does that offend me? Why does that bother me? Do I really give a rip about the poor? He asks, why do you trouble her? Because he wants them to contemplate why they are troubling her. Why do you stand in condemnation of that? Why are you bothered by the Super Bowl ad? not assuming that you are, but some of you might be. Why, why do you think the money should be spent on this and not that? Why do we constantly evaluate how other people worship? Why do some people in the midst of the praise and worship time raise their hands? And why do some of you stand behind them as they raise their hands and think to themselves, they're just drawing attention to themselves? Some of you are thinking, I want to ask you, why do you bring up hard things that make people uncomfortable? Because it's my job. <laughs> I want you to think. I want me to think about how we evaluate everyone else's devotion and think they're doing it wrong. Why do we do that? I'm not going to answer. I'm asking why do we do that because I want us to think. Why do we do that? But now he gives his commentary. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Not for me, to me. She's done a beautiful... Jesus thinks her extravagant display of worship is beautiful. Do you know how much this was worth? The disciples pegged it at about 300 denarii. A, denari a denarii is a day's wage. So whatever you make as your, as your income, imagine... A mom, almost a year's wage. That's what this is. This is the equivalent of a year's salary. That's over the top. That is extravagant. Jesus says, that's, that's a, she did a beautiful thing to me. She did a beautiful thing to me. And then he says, you know what? You'll, you'll always have the poor with you. They're not going away. I am. They won't. She did what she could. She did what you could. You will not always have me. I love that phrase. She did what she could. And then he gives this commentary. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. Okay, I don't want to miss this. This is really important. Verse 7 and 8. He gives an explanation. So first he asks the question, why do you trouble her? Then he gives an explanation. It's a beautiful thing, but the reason she did it, she is preparing for his burial. Question, does she know that she's preparing him for burial? We have no proof that she knows, but Jesus equates what she's doing for the preparial for his burial. Easy for me to say. I can't even say that. Pre pre preparation for his burial. Okay, that, that's what's going on here. She, she might not be conscious of it, or she might be. 
She's a disciple. She's not an apostle, but she's a disciple. The scriptures say that there's about 100 or 120 people that, 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 that comprise Jesus' entourage that follow him all over. Uh, comprised of men and women. And she's one of the women, obviously. And she would be privy to the conversations that the disciples had. Now, Jesus, no less than three times, has told them, I must go to Jerusalem. I will be arrested. I will be executed. And I will rise again on the third day. No less than three times that Mark gives us up until this point. There's no way that as a disciple of Christ, she's not having conversations with the other disciples concerning what Jesus meant by that. They don't necessarily understand, but they are aware that he's been saying it. Does she know specifically? We can't prove that she does or she doesn't, but Jesus equates her action with his upcoming burial. And he says, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And verse 9, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. Okay, wherever the gospel is told, the word gospel, it means good news. That's what the word means. Wherever the good news is preached, wherever the good news is proclaimed, this deed will be remembered and it will be associated with the good news. What is the good news? The good news is the fact that Jesus offers undeserving sinners a pardon and a place in his family, and he plans to pay the price so that they might obtain that position. A pardon and a place in his family as adopted children. That's the good news, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a citizen of the king, to not be under condemnation, but to be seen as righteous in Christ based upon his merit and his merit alone, by faith, by grace, through faith. This is, this is the good news. And wherever that good news is preached, this deed will be associated with it. The gospel is good news concerning what Jesus has done for sinners. What has Jesus already done for Mary? Days earlier, less than a week ago, she stood outside of her brother's tomb weeping and wailing because Jesus failed to show up on time to heal her brother who was dying. But then when Jesus showed up, he called to her and she came out and she said to Jesus, her savior looked him in the eyes and said, if you would have been here earlier, my brother would have lived. And do you know what Jesus responded to Mary's tears with? His own hot, angry tears. It says that Jesus wept. When he faced Mary, he wept. Did he not know that he was going to resurrect her brother? Of course he knew. But death is an assault on humanity. It's an assault on our personhood. It rips people apart and it was ripping Mary apart. And Jesus wept. And then it says that he was greatly troubled. The Greeks, it means that he trembled violently. He's angry. He's not just... He's shaking because he's angry at what death has done to this family. And he says, roll the stone away. And Mary's brother comes back from the grave. 
And he says, take the grave clothes off of this man. So Mary has something to be thankful for. That Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death and has manifested that through the resurrection of her brother. But it's more than that. It's more than giving her brother back. It's the fact that Jesus has told her and her sister that he is the resurrection and the life. And that if anyone believes in him, they shall never die. He's looked her in the eye and he's told her that if you believe, if your brother believes, if your sister believes, if anyone believes upon me, they will never die. They will always live. Even if they do die, they'll still live. And that's linked with this cryptic threefold explanation. I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be executed. But then I'm going to rise. I don't know if she consciously understands any of it, all of it, or maybe some of it. But she's made a direct link between what Jesus says and the hope of humanity. And it spurred her to give everything she had. That's devotion. That's devotion. All right. How do we develop that? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's ask ourselves honestly what we're really devoted to. How do you determine what you're devoted to? We say, we're the religious leaders. They're devoted to power. Hence, they're willing to conspire against the Torah to take an innocent man's life. So you can tell what they're devoted to by, will, by the, what they're willing to do. Devotion always leads to action. Always. Second, Judas. He's devoted to money. He proves this. As soon as this whole act is over, he gets up, goes and finds said religious leaders, offers to turn Jesus over. They're glad to have him, and they pay him 30 pieces of silver. So we know what Judas is devoted to. The disciples, they're devoted to Jesus and the approval of others and self-ambition. They're not different than you and I. Mary seems to be the only one who's completely devoted to Jesus in this story. She cares nothing about what anyone else cares about except Jesus. And she's not guarding her nard. She's willing to throw a year's wage on top of Jesus' head. Literally breaks a flask, pours it out, you can't get it back. You can't get that back. You can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't get the nard back in the flask. It's out. Can't be spent on the poor. It's all, poor. It's all is on Jesus' head now. She's completely devoted to Jesus. What about you? What about me? What are you devoted to? What are you willing to give yourself for? What do you, what do you sacrifice your time for? What do you do with your time? What do you do with your money? What do you do with your nard? What do you do with it? When, when, when there's a, there's a, a cause or, or, or something that, that Jesus might be interested in and you feel like, I should, I should give towards that or I should give my time towards that or I should give my talents towards that. What stops you? What stops us? What, what we're devoted to. I mean, I think last week I, I threw out the challenge. Read the word 
minimally as often as you read the news or Facebook. So if you're in, on Facebook or you're reading the news for an hour, watching TV an hour a day, two hours, three hours, four hours, spend that much time or more in the Word. I didn't talk to anybody about that, but I can tell you right now, some of you are like, who has time for that? Exactly. Who does have time for that? Right on cue. Anybody who makes time. And what do we make time for? Whatever you love the most. That, that's a universal rule. We make time for whatever we love most. We spend money on whatever we love most. We evangelize about whatever we love most. How many of you posted on Facebook something about Caitlin Clark? Why? Why did you all of a sudden become an evangelist for Caitlin Clark? I am. Why? I don't even like basketball. Why? Because I was inspired by it and I love what it did for me. That's what evangelism is. I am willing to tell someone else about what I'm passionate about. Whenever you go see a movie and you're moved because of the beauty and because of the entertainment value, you evangelize for said movie. We all do it because we, we, we love it. We evangelize for the things that we love. And we don't for the things that we don't. You know, my goal is not to make everyone feel awful. Some of you are thinking, well, if you're doing an awesome job. I don't want you to feel bad, but I do want us to be honest about the reality that our devotion is often deeply divided. We are very much like the disciples. We do, we are devoted. I am devoted to Jesus. I wouldn't be doing what I do if I wasn't. And you are, maybe, I don't know you, but some of you, we're all devoted to Jesus in degrees. And I think that if you're a follower of Christ, you're like, I would like to be like Mary. I just am more like the disciples. Afraid, timid, stingy. With my time, with my talents, with my treasures. I'm guarding my nard. It's my nard. It's not anyone else's nard. Nard, it's an awesome word, isn't it? <laughs> so how do, you, how do you grow in that devotion? How did Mary develop that devotion? In Luke, there's a scenario where Jesus happens to be at, at Mary and Martha's home. This is before Lazarus got sick. And they're having a dinner, and Martha's busy serving and preparing. And Luke makes it a point to say that, but Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking in everything that he said. And Mary's complaining because Mary's not helping. And Jesus says to Martha, you're troubled about a great many things. But Mary has chosen what's best, and it will not be taken from her. There's a reason that Mary is moved by what Jesus has done, or is going to do, rather, and what he has done for her and her brother, 
it's because she pays attention and she hangs on every word that comes out of his mouth. That's, that's a correlation. It's also a causation. Martha's troubled about a whole lot of things because Martha's busy doing a whole lot of things. Mary's just fixed on Jesus' words. She's fixed on Jesus' words. But, you know, who has time for that? Exactly. Who does have time for that? Whoever makes time for that. And that means that you're going to have to take some things and take them off of your schedule. Some of you are like, you're being legalistic. No, I'm not being legalistic. I'm being realistic. Jesus said explicitly that you cannot love and serve two masters at the same time. You'll hate the one and love the other. It's just a practical reality. You can't be devoted to two things simultaneously. You always give yourself to one and not the other. That's just the way the universe works. And Jesus spoke the universe into existence. He ought to know. So how do you grow? Well, you have to sit at Jesus' feet. Whose feet are you sitting at? What, what, what determines the most input that comes into your soul? What goes through your eyes? What goes through your ears? Whose feet are you sitting at? a verse that Paul wrote years later. He's taken 11 chapters to explicitly help the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, understand what the gospel is. That's what the book of Romans is about. It's about the gospel. 11 full chapters. He hasn't said, and here's what you ought to do. Not one time has he said, love your neighbor. Do this, do that. He's just been 11 chapters. Here's the gospel. Understand it. Here's the gospel. This is why it's good news. You're justified by faith. Boy, this is good news. It's so good. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And then we finally get to chapter 12, verse 1, and he finally tells us something we're supposed to do. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The NIV translates it this way. I appeal to you, in view of God's mercy, by the mercies, in, in other words, in light of what God's done for you, in light of what God's done for you, you present your bodies, your entire self as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. That's, that's what he says. In light of what God is, and who God is, and what God has done for you, in sending his Son, in light of what Jesus has done, go to the cupboard and get out the flask of nard, which is your whole body, yourself. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we ourselves are clay vessels. We're, we contain the Spirit of God. Offer this vessel, your vessel, your body, all of you, all of who you are to him. You say, well, I... I'm so divided. How, how do I grow in that devotion? Look at the verse first. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Sit at his feet and gaze at his mercy. 
recognize that Jesus is preparing for the Passover too. Do you know how Jesus is preparing for the Passover? By becoming the Passover lamb. Understand that Jesus is about ready to break his clay vessel and be poured out. Not his nard, but his life. And on the cross, Jesus was poured out solely that we might be redeemed. That Mary might be redeemed. That Lazarus, Martha, Peter, James, John, you, to all who would place their faith on him, his vessel was broken. It was not taken from him. It was not shattered. It was a gift from him to us. And he was willingly broken so that he might be poured out. And it's not nard. It's the blood of the lamb. <laughs> There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing more costly than that. And there's nothing more worthy than a response of everything that I have and everything that you have because he's given everything for us. That's how your devotion grows. Now, there's a good chance that you're emotionally worked up in the same way that I get emotionally worked up for about 10 minutes. That's how it works. You're going to get in the parking lot. You're going to get in your car. Your stomach's going to tell you it's time to eat. And there's probably a basketball game or something else on. You're going to be distracted by other things that you love. Unless you make an intentional effort to sit at his feet tomorrow and the day after and the day after that so that your devotion would continue to grow. So just a moment of silent reflection. You, us, we, ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to show you what you ought to do next. And I don't, I'm not going to tell you what to do next. Whether that's opening the cabinet to get the nard, I don't know. What, what, just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to grow in my devotion? How do you want me to respond in devotion to you? If you're new to grace... I want to encourage you to get connected. You can stop at the office. There'll be a, uh, we have a brand new guidebook in terms of what your next steps are in following Christ and how to become involved here. I encourage you to pick that up. There'll be someone there. After the service, if you'd like someone to pray with you, pray for you, there'll be people up front to pray with you. But whatever the Spirit leads you to do, do it. Let's just think about that and ask the Lord silently. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you held nothing back. You gave your son and he gave himself in obedience to you to bring you glory and to redeem us. Thank you that he was poured out. Thank you that he is our Passover lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, 
while we were yet sinners, you gave your life for us. Lord, we worship you and we thank you for that. I pray, Father, for the person here or the people here who have not yet trusted you as their Savior. May today be the day of their salvation. May they repent of their sins, recognize that it was their sins that Jesus died for, and to trust you for their salvation and only you, not their works, but only your works. And Father, for those of us who have trusted you, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts that you would fan into flame the spark that you put within our hearts, that we might worship and adore you, that we might be increasingly devoted to you. Lord, our devotion to you is not something we do to earn your favor, but it's something that we give back because we are favored. Lord, thank you for favoring us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would go with us, go before us, and bring glory to your name. And may, may the gospel go forth in our lives, into this community. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you will do and that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.